a uh, great study on what are the favorite parts of Christmas. See if you uh, agree with these. Uh, tens of thousands of people responded to the survey to share their favorite parts of Christmas. For instance, favorite Christmas movie. Number one, It's a Wonderful Life. Number two, the movie Elf. Uh, favorite Christmas song. Number one, Silent Night. Number two, White Christmas. Next question, what's your favorite place to shop? The number one place, Amazon. Uh, second was the local mall. Favorite Christmas activity, number one, decorating the tree, and then two, opening gifts. And the last one here, favorite Christmas food, by far the number one is ham. The second place was a tie between turkey and prime rib. So we all have favorite parts of Christmas. We all have parts that are more meaningful to us. Some people, uh, the holidays are more of a challenge because of things that uh, they have happened in their life. So we're going to look at some things today, though, about this life in Christ by looking at the second most read book in all of history after the Bible, as well as the man who wrote that, the circumstances under which he wrote it. He actually wrote it from jail. And see from his example and what he writes, how each of us, whether it's the holidays, whether they're difficult, fun, easy, challenging, and then moving far beyond this to everyday life, how we can live with that joy unspeakable in Christ. St. Irenaeus in 130 AD said, the glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. The glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. And you may not be feeling fully alive today. I'll give you some principles and some tools you can use to make some really big changes in your life emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And you might look around and see a lot of people that they're not really fully alive. So we'll talk about how that's possible for each of us, regardless of circumstance. I'll give you some gentleman's you know, the revelation he had after going through deep, dark tragedy and how he came out the other side of that and what he shared made the difference for his life. So let's look at this gentleman here for a moment from history that did write this book from jail that again is it's the second most read book next to the Bible. So we're talking about John Bunyan lived in the 1600s. And why did he go to jail? We'll talk about that first. He was a preacher. And what happened to lead John Bunyan to go to jail? He's going to be in jail. Think about this. 12 years. 12 years for preaching the gospel. And he's in England. So why did he go to prison for preaching the gospel? Well, you think about the, the history of England and what happened under Charles II, who restored the monarchy. But he took away religious freedom. He created what we would say are state-approved churches. He also dictated that each church would use the Book of Common Prayer. And John Bunyan said he wanted to use the Bible, and he wanted to preach freely. He also did not want to have to be a state-approved church, so he preached as what they called a nonconformist. And for that, he was thrown in jail. 12 years, very unjust thing. He wrote several books during his time in jail, but the one that he wrote we'll look at today was the, again, second most read book after the Bible, still a bestseller today. The reason he wrote it is his family, his wife, his kids would come to see him, and he wanted them to know what it is to have this victorious life in Jesus, regardless of circumstances. Can't get a whole lot worse than being in jail. Once he was released from jail, he went back to being a pastor. Uh, 
So what was the book that he wrote, uh, again, that has such an influence? That book is Pilgrim's Progress, published in 1678. And what Pilgrim's Progress is, is an analogy and a metaphor using universal archetypes of characters that we each encounter in life, for good or for bad. And what he wanted to share was how to, whether that character is good or bad, still live that victorious life, faithful to your calling in Christ. And again, he wrote that originally for his wife and kids. They'd come and see him, and he'd share this story. And again, the archetypes he uses, he named them after the characteristic that they portrayed. So there's one that he calls, you know, stubborn. Another he calls the legalist, who's very legalistic about religion. And so again, this is the book that he wrote, Pilgrim's Progress, and we'll see some of why it is so powerful how you can see yourself in the characters. And if you're one character that you shouldn't be, you'll see the changes that you need to make. But we'll see why that book still makes such a difference. Before that, though, let's look at a verse here. Probably each of us know it, but may not have any idea what it really means. The reason for that is the King James uses very appropriately a specific word that we don't commonly use today in English, but it's used because it's it needs to be understood. It's found in Habakkuk 3.19. Habakkuk lives in a time of injustice and spiritual oppression. And here's what he says, though. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet on high places. So the question is, what is a hind? And what are the high places of which he speaks? We've all probably heard that. It's on cards. It's on posters. There's books with that title, movies. But what is hind's feet on high places? What is a hind, really? You know, Charles Spurgeon, a great statement he made is that God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. So you might be going through a time right now and you feel like you've been forgotten or you wonder where God is. Keep in mind Spurgeon's words. Even if you cannot trace his hand, you can trust his heart. And his heart is that unconditional love, that offer of life that is really life, free indeed life in Christ. So let's take a look at some parts here of Pilgrim's Progress. And again, find yourself in the story. You're going to encounter people that you've already known in life. Each of these people Bunyan writes about are people that he knew personally. And again, he gives them names to define their their character. So the main character in Pilgrim's Progress is Christian. And Christian has a problem. You'll notice in any picture of Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, Christian, has this very large backpack. And that backpack represents his burdens and his sin. And what he wants to do is know how to put down that big backpack. And so the first person he meets is a man named Evangelist. And Christian is beginning a journey, leaving a city where he sees injustice. He wants to get away from that and go on a journey. He's got this big backpack and he runs in to Evangelist. And here are his words. Christian said, what must I do to be saved? And evangelist says, do you see the gate? Do you see the light? Keep that light in your eyes and go and knock on the gate. 
That is tremendous testimony there that you and I can take for our own lives and to share for other people as well. In the story, the gate is on a mountain some distance away, but they can still see it from where they are. You want to know how to share the gospel, though? You want to know what the gospel is there? What a great statement. Do you see the gate? Do you see the light? Keep that light in your eyes. Christ, who is the light of the world that came into the darkness. Christ, who is that gate, that narrow gate by which we enter into eternal life. Keep that light in your eyes. Keep your eye on that gate and go and knock thereon. Of course, as Matthew 2 shares, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, the magic came from the east asking, where is the one who has been born king of Judea? We saw a star in the east. We've come to worship him. You know, Martin Luther talked about pronouns and how they're so important. And he said, you know, there's a big difference between describing God as the shepherd, a shepherd, to my shepherd. The shepherd, a shepherd to my shepherd. We want to make this as personal as we can, each of us, as we read these verses. When you think about hinds feet on high places, it's not reading about somebody else. It's you, it's me saying, my hinds feet on my high places. And to take and grasp what that means in life. You know, the next two characters that are in the book are stubborn and pliable. And pliable simply means easily bent. And they see this person, Christian, they see he's got determination. And they say, where are you going? He says, I'm going on a journey to that mountain. They say, sounds like an adventure. We'll go with you too. And they get very small distance from the city and obstinate then says, I'm going back to my place. He doesn't want to go any further. And he also says, why are you carrying a book? And Christian is carrying a Bible. And Christian says, because I believe this book is the truth. And obstinate says, I don't want to be a companion to such a fantastical fellow. What a, what a great character. You know, how many people, they, they start on this spiritual journey that it, they don't get very far and they just say, you know what, I'm going to go back to home. Old life. It's too much of a, a journey. It's too much of a challenge. It's, it's too much effort. And besides that Bible, eh, I'm not looking to, to be too fanatical. Here's a great statement here by Tony Robbins, though. Take this to heart. Write this down. Memorize this. If the meaning doesn't change, the person's life doesn't change. If the meaning doesn't change, the person's life doesn't change. You know, for stubborn, he has no interest in finding the empowering meaning for life. But just like he gives up and quits and goes home, how many people give up and quit and say, you know what, life it's a burden. And if you don't change the meaning, your life won't change. You and I need to say, listen, the meaning that I'm going to give to this is that God has not abandoned me, but God is growing me. 
that life is not a burden, but that life is a dance. You know, you might have lost your job, a relationship, and you might give the meaning that, look, that means it's over. God has forgotten me. Change the meaning if you want to change your life. Look and say how you can learn from this and take whatever the challenge, the obstacle is and say, that's not how I'm going to define my life. I am going to take the meaning that God has trusted me because he knows I'm stronger than I know. And I've got big challenges because I got a big destiny. Change the meaning, change your life. You know, pliable, the easily bent character here, easily influenced. He looks at Christian and says, do you think the words in your book are certainly true? What things are they? Here's an incredible testimony again from Bunyan, writing here from jail to encourage his wife and his kids. Here is another beautiful portrayal of the gospel. Christian responds and says, there is an endless kingdom to be inhabited, an everlasting life to be given us. There are crowns of glory and garments that shine like the sun. There shall be no more crying nor sorrow, for he that is owner of that place will wipe all tears from our eyes. That's what it is to know and trust in him who is that way, that truth, and the life. When we really stop and say, he is my everything. You want to change the life that you might be having now. First find the meaning, change the meaning. Then you'll find the change for your life. As Ron Brown said, if you make the choice, God will make the change. If you make the choice, God will make the change. You know, you don't have to have all the answers, but the choice is I'm going to trust him. I'm going to entrust my life to him. I'm going to believe that even if I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. And when you and I make that step in faith, then God brings that change. That's when we see, you know, the advice that you might find in life to say, how do I find something greater than this moment? Well, you pour out yourself. You give out your life to lose it, as Jesus says, and there you'll find it. And when you make that step, you find out that when we are ready to give, God will make the change. They come to a, a swamp, and it's just Christian and pliable. And pliable, he gets his, basically his boots get stuck in the mud. And he says now, if I get out with my life, you go on to that brave country alone. And then he writes, Pliable gave a desperate struggle or two. He got out of the mud on the side of the swamp next to his house. So away he went. And notice here, and Christian saw him no more. First, it was stubborn. They said, I'm not putting forth the effort. And now it's pliable that says, now I got my shoes dirty, stuck in the mud. I'm going to go back. You see again why these characters are, are universal archetypes, but maybe you might find yourself in one of those characters and you say, you know what? I give up too easily. Let me give you something here from Corey Ten Boom. Of course, she survived a concentration camp in World War II. 
And she shared about, you know, when she was, you know, reading of these events before she herself was placed in a concentration camp, she said she had this conversation with her dad. And she said, Dad, I could never endorse something like that. And her dad said, yes, you could, Corey. You know why? Because God would give you the grace to endure. And then he said to her this, he said, if I give you fare for the train, do I give you money for fare for a year ahead of time? And she said, no. He said, do I give you a month's fare ahead of time? And she said, no. Do I give you a week's fare ahead of time? And she said, no. And he says, that's right, I give it for the day. That's the way God's grace is. He gives it when we need it. His grace is sufficient for the moment. And when you and I know that and walk that out, we say, you know what? It's sufficient today. Tomorrow, it'll be sufficient. Next week, next year, whatever it is. Again, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hand, we can always trust his heart. So let me give you something here from Dwight Reichard, part of the Billy Graham Association, popular speaker, author. He tragically, when, when he was just in his 30s, he lost his wife and child. And as you can imagine, if we can imagine, you know, he shares, it's just as dark and awful as it sounds. He went into dark, deep depression. And at the time, he was a minister, and he still is. But, but again, to go through that type of loss, and, and some may identify with that. Others, maybe you have not had that type of loss, but you've had a loss, and so you've had some just real discouragement. And, and well, how do you come out of that? Listen to somebody who's been through that valley, and what he says made the change. He said, one of the biggest steps a person makes is when they stop saying why or why now and they start asking what now. Not a lot of answers for the why questions. But when you can move from why to what now, all the change starts to happen. For instance, what are you doing, God? What can I take away from this experience? What can I learn? How can I use this to help other people? Again, if the meaning doesn't change, the person's life doesn't change. But it changes the moment you and I move from just the why to say, okay, God, what? What are you doing? What can I learn? What can I take from this to help other people? That's when life changes. Again, remember the importance of pronouns. And listen again now to this verse four times. It's personal. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet. He will make me walk upon mine high places. What does that verse truly mean? We'll come back and see in a moment. Two more characters next in the book. Worldly, very evident what that means and legality and worldly encounters christian again remember he's got this pack and he says how did you come by the burden and christian says by reading this book so he understands by reading scripture what sin is and worldly says this in yonder village there's a man named legality he's talking about a religious person why don't you go live in that village 
Bring your wife to the village. You'll find a reasonable rate. You'll find life happy and honest neighbors. What's worldly saying? Forget the journey. Settle down. Get a house. Picket fence. Two cars. Good job. Forget all that deep spiritual searching. Just relax. Who's legality? Legality is just religion. Find yourself a little religion. Just get comfortable. But notice what happens next. Christian says, where is legality's house? To which he responds, do you see yonder high hill? It's a long way up trying to find life in religion. There is none there. But what a steep climb. So let's talk about this verse here. Habakkuk 3.19. King James has it. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hind's feet in high places. Amplified, the Lord God is my strength. He'll make my feet like hind's feet. New Living has it like this. The Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer. English Standard. God is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. The Lord is my strength, said Christian Standard. He makes my feet like those of a deer. What is the deer? A hind is simply a female doe, specifically though a red deer. Why is that important? Think about this here. He makes my feet like the hind, like the female deer, the red deer. Well, here's what's fascinating about a red deer. The deer can place her back feet exactly where her front feet were. That means she only needs two foot rest instead of four to climb. That means she can scamper across what appears to be a vertical cliff, unafraid, undeterred by that seemingly impassable terrain. Here's a, a picture. You can see this red deer scaling this almost completely vertical cliff. Incredible. So what is Habakkuk saying? It's an expression to denote victorious possession of our destiny. That you shall overcome all opposition and dwell in, in safety. Hind's feet, it indicates strength. Moving to the heights of salvation. That you'll be swift-footed as the gazelle. As Bob Dodson said, the next time you find yourself in a rough, rugged patch of life, instead of asking God for a way out, ask him for the feet needed to walk the path he chose for you. That's the beautiful part of this. What is it to have hinds feet in high places? It means that in God, you can trust he'll give you the strength to scale that seemingly impossible wall. And you'll overcome that high place and you'll find the victory promised in Jesus. You know, Christian leaves legality and worldly waiting outside as the evangelist. And the evangelist says to him, Believe me, there is nothing in all this noise thou hast heard from these foolish men. There is so much noise, so much distraction. And we get back to the promise that he gives us hinds feet, that we can scale the impossible wall. What must I do to be saved? Do you see the gate? Do you see the light? Keep your light in your eyes. Go and knock on that gate. Because there, there is no more crying nor sorrow, for he that is owner of that place will wipe all tears from our eyes because that light has come in 
to the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it.